The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. Happy Holidays. I hope everyone enjoyed themselves, and here we are with the last show of 2011. And as you all know, I always take time in December to have shows that reflect on the season of giving back, and I am so excited. I've looked forward to this show because we have a very special guest. We have Sister Sheila Carney, who is the Special Assistant to the President, Mercy Heritage and Service, Carlo University, and just a great leader for all of us. Welcome to the show, Sister Carney. Thank you, Joyce, and holiday blessings to you, too. Thank you. Well, Sister, why I'm so excited, we are celebrating the 180-year anniversary of the Sisters of Mercy this year. And to me, that is just so awesome. My guest throughout the United States and other parts of the world, you all know that my corporate base is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, although we work in 19 different states and two provinces of Canada. And it just so happens that Carlo University is in Pittsburgh, and I am so honored to be a trustee. So this show is very personal and dear to me. And I thought one of the ways we could start, Sister, is how about if you tell our listeners how this really all started with one woman, Catherine McCauley. I'd be glad to. Catherine McCauley is a, a fascinating and inspirational woman. Uh, she was born in the late 1700s in Dublin, Ireland, and um, was born to a kind of uh, well-off family for that period in history. Her father was a, a contractor and an architect, and he was able to provide well for his family. Um, unfortunately, he died when Catherine was about five years old, and from that point on, her childhood was pretty unstable. Um, her mother wasn't very good um, in terms of managing the family finances, and they eventually had to sell their home and to sell some other properties. Her father had left the family. Um, they moved from place to place, living with relatives and friends. Um, eventually, when Catherine was in her teens, the family had to break up. She and her mother lived with one set of relatives and her brother and sister with another set. Um, Catherine's mother died when she was about 20 years old, and shortly after that, she became acquainted with a couple whose names were William and Catherine Callahan. Um, they'd been in India for many years and had recently returned to Ireland. They um, they found her to be an amiable young woman, and uh, as they didn't have any children, they invited her to come and live with them to be a kind of a companion to Mrs. Callahan. And so she accepted that invitation, 
I think probably not realizing that she was making a 20-year commitment at that point, but that's in fact what happened. She lived with the Callahans for 20 years. So it started out with her being a companion to Catherine Callahan, and then um, as Catherine Callahan's health deteriorated, Catherine McCauley nursed her. She took over the management of their household. Um, Catherine Callahan eventually died. Um, Catherine McCauley began to care for her husband and uh, to take over the concerns of the estate. So she was amassing a great deal of experience at this point, too. Um, and we come to understand how deeply she was treasured by the Callahans because when William died, uh, Catherine was amazed to discover that she was their heir. Um, she inherited their estate in Kulak Village, which is now incorporated into the city of Dublin, and about $3 million. So after that long period of instability, she was suddenly a woman of about 43 years old with amazing assets, <laughs> um, this wonderful property outside the city and a great deal of money. Um, you might think she'd use that opportunity to see to it that she had a, a an easy and secure future. But instead of doing that, she chose to use the money to reach out to people who were less fortunate especially women and children. And so she um, looked for a piece of property in Dublin, and she found, um, found a plot of land at, um, on Bagot Street in Dublin in what was a very well-to-do Dublin neighborhood, and she built a big building there. Now, she was very strategic about the location of the building because she was going to use it as a social service agency, and she wanted the needs of the poor to be every day evident to the wealthy. So we talk about her as a bridge builder sometimes, that she connected people with needs to people with resources. Uh, you probably wouldn't get away with that today because we have zoning laws. <laughs> but in those days, she was free to build this building where she did. And she immediately opened a school. Within a year, she had about 200 poor children in the school she took in uh, women who were homeless. Um, in those days, a lot of young women came from the small towns of Ireland into the city hoping for employment, and the best kind of employment they could hope for was uh, to be a domestic servant in one of the wealthy homes in Dublin. Now, Catherine, through her years with the Callahans, had been hiring and training and supervising the household staff there. And so she was in a wonderful position to teach these young women what would be needed from them. So she trained them to become domestics, and then she had a, like a little employment agency. And the women she trained were sought after because they were very well prepared for uh, for the positions that they received. Um, she also um, had a kind of a refuge for women because what happened many times to those uh, young women in domestic service was that they were subjected to the sexual advances of the men in the household and they fled from those situations looking for safety and Catherine took them in. So she developed a kind of a rep uh, reputation um, for the work that she was doing and other young women came to join her. 
to help with the school and to uh, to join her in her um, forays out into the streets and lanes of Dublin where she took care of the sick poor in their homes. And eventually there were 12 women who were living together in that house on Daggett Street and doing the works of mercy. And eventually the bishop came to Catherine and he said, you know, it seems as if you've formed a religious community here. And in fact, if you want the works that you do to continue beyond your lifetime, you need to give them some stability. And forming a religious community would be a good way to do that. So she thought about that for a while, and she consulted the women that she was working with. Um, This was um, uh, uh, one of the characteristics of Catherine McCauley, that uh, she engaged the women who were her partners in all of the significant decisions that she was making. And so they eventually decided together that they would become a religious community. And um, she went away to the Presentation Sisters to be trained, uh, she and two other women, and on December the 12th, 1831, they made their vows, and thereby establishing the Sisters of Mercy. So that's the anniversary we're celebrating this year, 180 years since the founding of the community. Wow. Uh, which, which now serves in 45 countries around the world. Is that right? Yeah. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, what made her move here? Well, Catherine McCauley never came here. Oh, she did not come. The sisters she did came. not come, right. She um, she died in 1841, but between 1831 and 1841, she um, was joined by a um, hundred other women. The community, by the time of her death, there were a hundred women in the community, and she had founded branches of the Sisters of Mercy um, all over Ireland and in England. One of the places uh, that she created a community of mercy in Ireland was a little village, little town, market town, um, named Carlow, uh, about an hour south of Dublin. And the leader of the group in Carlow was a woman named Frances Ward, who happened to be Catherine McCauley's best friend and soulmate. Frances Ward is another extraordinary woman. While she was the leader in Carlow, she founded other mercy communities around Ireland. And then in 1843, the the Roman Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh was established. And a man named Michael O'Connor, who was residing in Rome at the time, was appointed as the first bishop of the new diocese. And he had heard of the Sisters of Mercy. So he, um, on his way from Rome to Pittsburgh, he stopped in Ireland and because he had friends in Carlo, he went to Carlo, and he asked the Sisters of Mercy if they would send a group with him to the United States. Um, there were 36 sisters in the community at that time, and 35 volunteered to come. Uh, Francis Ward was their leader, and there were six others. So um, they left Ireland on, um, in November of 1843, um, crossed the Atlantic on a boat called the Queen of the West um, and landed in New York, uh, went from there to Philadelphia, and then by stagecoach across the Alleghenies, and they arrived in Pittsburgh on December 21st, 1843. So just last week, we celebrated 168 years in Pittsburgh. Wow. 
What a woman. That is truly a great story and, as you said, an inspirational story. And it's so amazing that she dedicated her life to, you know, helping the Callahans and then ended up becoming wealthy all over again after originally being with a well-off family, losing that money. But you know what is more interesting and inspirational is what she did with the money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that is absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Uh, plus, how progressive all the things she did, including helping uh, the homeless and helping women that have been sexually assaulted. I mean, she really was doing a lot of unbelievably great things. She was, and I think, you know, a lot of the ministries that the Sisters of Mercy are involved in today were foreshadowed in what Catherine did. She did home health nursing. She did um, home visitations. She did education. She did, um, as you said, counseling for a woman who had been sexually assaulted. She, housing ministry, health care, education, um, everything uh, – or many of the things that we're doing now, she was doing in in those days. Wow. Well, hey, we're going to talk more about all this, but right now we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, folks, we're talking to Sister Sheila Carney, Carlo University, and we're talking about the 180th year anniversary of the Sisters of Mercy. We'll be right back. You're listening to the voice of Joyce Bender talking about Carlo University. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Catherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Hi, I'm Greg Grumberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we are talking to Sister Sheila Carney, Special Assistant to the President, Mercy Heritage, 
and service, Carlo University, and really a leader in the Sisters of Mercy. And it's so wonderful to have her on the show. And, Sister, I do have a question to ask you. But before I do that, we do have a question that came through um, that I wanted to ask you from one of our listeners in Minnesota. And the question is, Sister... Um, I find this so fascinating hearing about Catherine McCauley. My question is, I know there are a lot of literature put out by women who have been leaders in, a, in this country or leaders in the feminist movement. I'm wondering if Catherine McCauley is written up in any of these books. Oh, boy. Well, there are, there are certainly a, a number of books written about Catherine McCauley, and in fact, um, we're all kind of sitting on the edge of our seats because there's a brand new biography of her coming out that's uh, expected in March, and we're all looking forward to to reading that. Um, aside from that, I'd have to think a little bit about where where she might be written up. Um, I know in Ireland there are a number of books about the um, famous historical figures in the in the church in Ireland, and she's included in those volumes. Um, I was amazed last year to have a student send me the link to an article from Bitch Magazine, which I had never heard of, <laughs> about Catherine McCauley. Someone who had um, heard about her wrote an article for this periodical um, about what an amazing woman she was and and the good that's been done in the world through her. So I think as her story, as people become acquainted with her story, we find her um, being referred to in in a wide variety of places and sources. Um, I might say to your listeners that the Sisters of Mercy internationally have a wonderful website with loads of information about Catherine McCauley and the Sisters of Mercy, and it's www.mercyworld.org. Um, I'd invite people to go to that website. Okay, that's mercyworld.org. That's correct. That's good. I would encourage everyone to go there also. And you know what? Before we went to break, you had mentioned a little bit about a very close friend, as you referred to her, a soulmate, someone with, I guess, an affinity of spirits, which was Frances Ward. Could you talk about her a little bit more? Yeah, Frances Ward, um, as I said, was Catherine McCauley's soulmate. They were um, women who who were very much united in terms of um, what they hoped to do uh, in terms of spreading God's mercy through the world. And Frances Ward became the founder of the Carlo community. She founded a number of other communities in Ireland and then was the leader of the Sisters of Mercy when they came to Pittsburgh. So once she got to Pittsburgh, she um, was influential in creating the ministries of the sisters here, um, including Mercy, the Mercy Hospital of Pittsburgh, which is the first Mercy Hospital in the world, and then um, began to travel from out from Pittsburgh. She went to Chicago and founded the Sisters of Mercy there. And when her time of leadership was over here, she um, moved to Rhode Island and and used that as her base. And she was responsible for founding more than 100 convents, hospitals, social service agencies all across the United States. And her biographer says that there's no woman to whom the church in the United States owes more than it does to Frances Ward. When the city of Pittsburgh celebrated its bicentennial, 
Um, it named Frances Ward, even though she had only been in Pittsburgh for seven years, it named Frances Ward as one of the ten most influential women in the history of the city. Is that right? Yes. Wow, Another, that is something. Absolutely amazing woman. And one of the things that um, I think is a great blessing for Carlo University being a primarily women's institution is to have these two great women as exemplars for the students here, uh, both Catherine McCauley and Frances Ward, wonderful, um, strong, committed women who understood what their own personal gifts and talents were and how they could use them to make the world a more merciful place. Well, you know, as you were talking, I, I guess I had not thought about this before, but I certainly have a connection to Frances Ward and what she did, and you'll understand what I mean in a moment. But as our listeners know, uh, I'm a woman living with epilepsy, and actually mm-hmm. I had epilepsy, but it was misdiagnosed, so I did not know I had it until I had an almost fatal accident mm. in 1985. Uh, I went to the movie theater with my husband, and on a Sunday evening, and when I one of the few movies with an intermission, it was Amadeus, the Mozart film, mm-hmm. and I went out to get a Diet Coke at the concession stand. He went to the restroom, and I had a tonic seizure, and I hit the floor so hard, mm-hmm. I fractured my skull, had an intracranial brain hemorrhage, broke all the bones in my right ear, um, had life-saving brain surgery, and this is how it all started that I dedicated my life to working with people with disabilities because, of course, I am one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, I was in executive search, so, you know, I knew all about employment, and I'm thinking, hey, people with disabilities could do these jobs, and that's how it all got started. But to my main point, wouldn't you know that it was Mercy Hospital uh-huh. <laughs> that I was taken to and where I had that life-saving brain surgery mm-hmm. was at Mercy Hospital. So Wonderful. there you go. Yeah. There's my connection right there. Good deal. <laughs> so thank goodness that was put in place, huh? Absolutely. Yes. Well, anyway, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit more about the Sisters of Mercy. As you say, they came to Pittsburgh in 1843 and did all these unbelievable things. And then what happened? Well, um the sisters uh, involved themselves in Pittsburgh in a lot of different ministries, caring for the poor in their homes, creating schools. Uh, they started St. Mary's Academy in downtown Pittsburgh, and the successor of that school is the Carlo University Campus School. Um, founded Mercy Hospital, St. Paul's Orphanage. Um, and the Sisters of Mercy have um, a tendency that goes back to Catherine McCauley, but I like to call it... Uh, scanning the horizon, that um, our eyes are always kind of looking out to see what's the next group that needs help, who's not being served, what resources do we have that we can bring to bear on this. And in the 1920s, um, as the sisters were scanning the horizon, the group that um, came into their view were young Catholic women who wanted um, a college education. <clears throat> because there there were no resources for them. Duquesne University existed, but at that time it didn't admit women except uh, religious women. Um, Chatham uh, existed, but it was not 
a Catholic institution, and so Catholic young women would not have gone there. So the sisters determined that the, the task that they were being called to next was to found a Catholic college for women. And they had some legal issues at the beginning, and they dropped the idea for a couple of years, but this, you know, it was kind of shining brightly within them, this dream. And so they came back to it again a couple of years later and um, took the steps that were needed to create this college, which opened on September the 24th. 1929. Um, it opened in the the convent here um, at what was then called Mount Mercy, and um, with 25 students and five sisters who were the faculty and staff, and um, as I say, maintenance. Just, you know, they were everything for the new college, and um, it was a very uh, oh what risky be- beginning, as you can imagine, uh, given the economic situation in the country at that time, um, but the sisters believed in what they were doing. They had begun to prepare for the college by educating the women who would staff it uh, at the opening of, this, of the university, at the, of the college. Um, there were five sisters, three of whom had already um, achieved their PhD because we knew that we would be founding this school and wanted it to have the best resources possible, um, and it grew from there. So this was another, um, we've just finished uh, a a film highlighting the founding of Mount Mercy College. It's told through the the person of Sister Regis Grace, who was the first um, dean and acting president of Mount Mercy College for 22 years. And she tells the story of these women. Um, And again, it's, it's, it's an absolutely amazing group of people who put their energies together to begin this great work, which we know now today as Carlo University. That is fantastic. Wow. You know what? That is amazing, too, about Duquesne. Of course, there were a lot of other schools that did not accept women, but thank goodness you did. That is, as I said, very progressive in many ways. But right now, Folks, we're going to go to break, and then we'll be back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone and happy holidays. We're talking to Sister Sheila Carney, uh, Special Assistant to the President, at Carlo University, and so excited to have her on, and just so many interesting stories here about you know the sisters. But I do have a question for you from a Nancy in Philadelphia, and that is, sister, it seems that um, there are less young women going into the convent than before. Is that my imagination? And if not, what could be done to improve that? Well, that's a question that we get frequently, and um, I think um, one way of approaching it is to say that you have to define what before is. <laughs> um, here's what I mean by that. Um, many of us have the memory of the 1950s and 60s when there were lots and lots and lots of young women entering religious communities. But in fact, that period of time was an anomaly. Um, through the long history of religious life, um, it's been a more slow and steady growth than that amazing growth of the 50s and 60s. So while there aren't as many um, women entering religious life today, um, and while we would like to see some more joining us for the sake of the ministries that, for which we're responsible, the fact is that um, that the the real anomaly was the the great bur- burst of growth, um, and not the the uh, slow and steady growth that we see now. Um, I'd also like to say that um, many of the women who are joining us now uh, we refer to as newer members rather than younger members <laughs> because they're not necessarily as young as the women who formerly joined religious life um, in the fifties and sixties. It would have been. Um, primarily young girls coming out of high school, and now um, the women who are joining us are are mainly in their 30s and 40s. They're women who have finished their education and have had some spent some time in their professions and um, have continued to feel um, that there was something deeper that they were looking for, and that that sense of search eventually brought them to the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, well, 
I agree with you. And, you know, if you have any questions about this, uh, another thing you could do is get in touch with the sisters. And you were saying mercyworld.org, is that correct? That's correct. Mercyworld.org. Uh, well, sister, I wanted to talk just for a few minutes about September 24th, 1929, and is this when Carlo was founded? Is this, well, it was called something else at that time, right? It, it was called Mount Mercy College. Right? And it, is that when it was founded? Yes. So well, the university is now 83 years old. 83. My question mm-hmm. for you was, back then, I mean, was this a real small school? What was it like? Well, it was very small. The first year we had 25 students, and um, the classes were held um, mainly in the Sisters of Mercy Mother House. There were two rooms that were classrooms, and um, the college used the labs of Our Lady of Mercy Academy. And then in the 30s, there was a great growth spurt on campus. We built Aquinas Hall, which is a classroom building, St. Joseph's Hall, which is a gymnasium and swimming pool. Um, and um, as the as the needs of the of the college grew, we began to expand the campus further down the hill, um, down into Fifth Avenue. So we have a campus of about fifteen acres now, um, small and um, very well, very densely populated with buildings and people, but um, we like to think it's a it's a an intimate campus and uh, a campus where we can all know each other well because we um, we meet each other on the paths and in the buildings and well, all I can say is I'm glad that it happened because if not, I wouldn't have been able to be a trustee. So That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know what? A lot of people have talked to, they don't quite understand the Sisters of Mercy today. Today, what do they do for Carlo? What, what are you doing today for Carlo University? Well, the Sisters of Mercy um, are today organized into a congregation that's called the Sisters of Mercy of the Americas. Um, after Francis Ward brought the Sisters of Mercy to Pittsburgh, there were a number of other groups who came from England and Ireland and established themselves throughout the United States. And eventually there were 25 different groups. In 1991, those 25 groups came together to form one congregation. Um, so this is a congregation now that has about 4,000 members, and we're in 13 countries. Um, throughout the United States and in Central South uh, America, the Caribbean, and the Pacific. So we're pretty widespread. Um, the relationship of the sisters to the university um, is, of course, that we we were the founders, but we also provide the link to the Roman Catholic Church. It's a, it's a relationship that's called sponsorship, and it, it means that... We are the spokespersons for Carlo University with the Catholic Church. A couple of years ago, more than a couple, probably about 10 years ago now, the Sisters of Mercy um, were looking for a way to um, ensure a, a future for our educational institutions. We, In addition to Carlo, there are 15 other 
institutions of higher learning in the United States that are sponsored by the Sisters of Mercy. So the only other group that has more ministry in higher education than we do are the, the Jesuits. So we have a, across the United States this this um, wonderful collection, this wonderful cohort of institutions of higher learning, and we gathered them together in an organization that's called the Conference for Mercy Higher Education. And the purpose of the conference is to uh, ensure the mission of the Sisters of Mercy in those institutions, uh, particularly as the number of sisters in the institutions decreases, and also to create collaboration among the institutions. So um, we've had a number of symposia where we bring together persons from all the different Mercy Colleges and universities uh, to meet one another as colleagues and to offer uh, professional papers to one another um, for comment. Um, we've had a number of opportunities for students. Uh, uh, Mercy at the UN, for instance, we've had um, two two opportunities for students to go to the United Nations where the Sisters of Mercy have non-governmental um, status and to learn about the workings of the UN. This coming summer, we'll have a similar program in the nation's capital. So the, the students will be able to um, learn about the workings of Congress and to meet with their Congress people and to have other similar experiences. So we're, we're working together towards... Um, Goals like um, sharing um, cross-registration among the universities and colleges, the possibility of student exchange or faculty exchange. There are many wonderful opportunities um, that we look forward to in the future through the agency of the Conference for Mercy Higher Education. That is definitely an impact on the school. And interesting how you are the voice with the Catholic Church. So, therefore, if there would be some issue uh, that came up uh, in at Carlo, a question that related to theology or you know adhering to the tenets of the church, you would be the person that would work with the church. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, sister, you are a servant, obviously, to other people. So, I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this question. But <laughs> what made you decide to do this? Well, um, that's that's a very deep question, as you can imagine, um, because the the um, the invitation to become a member of a religious community is just that it's a it's a calling. It's not so much something that you decide to do uh, in the way that you might decide to be an accountant or a nurse. Um, and I think for me, it came through the witness of the Sisters of Mercy who have been a part of my life, um, my whole life, actually. Um, I grew up in the neighborhood of the Mother House, so the Sisters have always had a large uh, part in my imagination. And then I was educated in um, uh, high school and college by the Sisters of Mercy and was very attracted by... Um, the work of the sisters, by the relationship of the sisters among themselves, and that attraction um, eventually gave way to a sense that I was being called to be a member of the community. So um, after I graduated from what was then Mount Mercy College, I entered the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, I like that uh, the comment you made earlier. 
it's not a decision, it's a calling. Right. And I can relate to that because uh, when I made this decision to stop doing what I was doing, which was executive search, and dedicate my life to this, uh, it, it is something how that happens, how you just know this is what I have to do. Uh, versus sitting down, having, you know, a practical business uh, discussion, just as you said, how with you it's not like becoming an accountant. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that I guess that really is such a deep question. It's hard to, to answer that question, and I'm sure there are many people that ask you that, uh, but I'm just glad you made that decision, even well, though you, you were called. <laughs> I am, too. <laughs> And you have certainly been a blessing to me, the, just hearing you, you know, a few times at Carlo and at the board meeting. And I think you are all a blessing to Carlo University. So, um, I, on behalf of the board, I really do appreciate what you all do. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. I appreciate that. Well, folks, you know, every time I have someone on the show, they'll say, what are we going to do for one hour? And I tell them, trust me, it goes much faster than you think it does. So we're going to be right back to close the show with Sister Carney. And if you just joined us, remember, if you want someone else to hear this show, you know all shows are archived at voiceamerica.com and at benderconsult.com for the past eight and a half years. So... You can go back and tell someone else to listen to the show, um, and it can be, you know, downloaded so you're able to get that and share it with anyone you want. But right now we're going to break. If you just joined us, this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back to end the show with the sister. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. Happy Holidays. This is my last show of 2011, and, of course, I'll look forward to uh, next year talking to all of you. But I want to take a moment to thank you, thank you, all my listeners. Thank you for, you know, supporting me and listening to me and helping us impact the lives of people with disabilities. 
And so thank you very much. And one other thing I have to say, this young man that's my engineer who I'll be meeting when I go to Arizona, Brad, is just a blessing to work with. He, he has this civil rights spirit all the time, Mr. Social Justice. So Brad, doing a great job. I really can't wait to meet you. Well, sister, everyone that's been on the show, I asked these last two questions. <laughs> um, and the next one is going to be the hardest to answer because everyone tells me that. But I've asked these same last two questions the whole time I've been on the air. So my question to you, obviously you have already done so much in your life, but what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, let me say first that you're right that this is a very hard question to to, um, to form a response to, um, and I've thought about it a, a good bit since I received the questions. And um, I think what I'd like to say is that I've had an extraordinarily rich and gifted life as a Sister of Mercy. Um, I've had many experiences that I probably could not have hoped to have had had my life taken um, a different direction. Um, But as I think about that life, what is important to me is not any particular accomplishment, but it has to do with um, how well I feel I'm doing what I promised to do, which is to... um, bring God's mercy to life in our world, to discover God's mercy and to make it more available to people who are in need of it. So to the extent that I've been able to do that, um, um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have been called to this life and grateful for the opportunities that it gives me uh, to talk about the mercy of God and to try to be a revelation of it. Well, that is certainly a wonderful accomplishment because really it's just that your life has been so blessed because of this road that you chose with the sisters. I think that's true. And as you mentioned, many things you would never have experienced had you not done this. And, you know, there's no price tag, really, that you can put on in my life, for example. The feeling I get seeing a person with a disability who's been left out, oppressed, gain employment. Mm -hmm. I cannot put a price tag on that blessing to me. It's just so unbelievable. Same thing with young people with disabilities when I'm able to help them. You really can't put a price tag on any of these things. It's just a treasure. But, of course, you know, you miss out on that if you miss out, as you said, on giving back, on the mercy of God, on all of us that we're supposed to be loving our neighbors, no matter who our neighbors are, no matter where they live in the world. Uh, and and so I hope you're listening to the sister. Uh, I really do. And I would encourage all of you to look at Carlo University. If you're making a choice of going to a great school, Carlo University, and by the way, if you want at this time of the year to think of a great place to make a donation, it would be to Carlo University. So, Sister, our last question for you is, if you had to leave a message for our listeners today, what would that message be? 
Well, I've been thinking about the fact that this is um, a time of year when um, often we reflect on um, on our lives, particularly in the past 12 months, and we look forward to how we hope to be as we move forward uh, into the new year. And so what I'd like to encourage your listeners to do is to reflect on the fact that while the Sisters of Mercy bear the name of mercy, all of us are called to be revelations of God's mercy. So I invite your listeners to think about how in the coming months and years they might be called to to be a merciful presence to the members of their families or to the members of their communities or to strangers they meet on the street. There are so many people and places in our world that are crying out for a touch of God's mercy. And if all of us were intent on being that, um, our world would be a gentler and more merciful place. And boy, isn't that something that you can do at any time in your life. And I do hope you listen to this, sister. I hope at this time of the year that you do take time uh, and realize that there are those disadvantaged, homeless, uh, as the sister mentioned, victims of sexual assault, children that have been victims. I mean, just so many people that a little mercy, a little smile, a little love could make an enormous difference, and I hope that you take that to heart. Well, Sister, thank you for being with us on the show, especially this was a special show since it is our last show of 2011, and I want to say I really enjoyed having you as a guest. Thank you, Joyce. I enjoyed it also. Well, before we close the show, we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader uh, or someone that has made a difference in the lives of people with disabilities or someone that is just all about social justice. And as you all know, I am all about social justice. So what a great quote we have for you. And this quote is actually from Catherine McCauley, who said, The poor need help today, not next week. Isn't that the truth? You know what that means, folks? Take action. Don't wait. Make something happen and make it happen today. Once again, thank you all. Thank you for your support. I want to tell every one of you, make sure you're safe this week, uh, especially with the New Year's Eve driving. Make sure you're safe. Uh, And get ready. Get ready for next year to make some resolution that's all about giving back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice at Disability Matters on voiceamerica.com. See you next year. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.